This podcast is offered by Jikoji Zen Center on the web at jikoji.org. Our programs are made possible by donations from people like you. Okay. Thank you, Jikoji, for inviting me. It's a joy to come, and I really hope and wish that we can have a discussion today. We can. Um, you might know by now where you're raising your hand bottom is. So you can raise your hand anytime or you can just unmute and speak. It's up to you. Just whenever something comes up, just talk. <laughs> Same for Chikuchi people. Yeah, in a sender, you can make yourself known. So great. Because um, I don't know for many of you have been giving talks at Chikuchi too. And I don't know how that is for you. Um, but for me, it's always an opportunity to really look at how what's up in my practice and what do I need to work on because I'm learning too while I'm giving this talk. <laughs> uh, giving a talk, it's not really giving a talk, it's really learning from each other. So, and what I wanted to bring up in this art discussion today on a Sunday uh, morning with a different time zone and different, different everything, <laughs> a new morning, I wanted to bring up discipline. Um, and diligence so um, and we kind of I kind of noticed we kind of brought it up already in this verse that invoked this meeting together uh, we made a vow to like uh, contemplate the Dharma which is a very diligent thing to do I think and I think that's kind of the heart right there of diligence is to have aspiration, make aspirations. And um, and yet uh, looking in the crowd here, I see many people having been diligent for a very long time. Like, is there anybody really new? I don't think, right? So a lot of people here. Hogan, yeah, you're new, fresh in the moment, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm okay. Person, I, I got you, yeah, okay. Today, today. Nice <laughs> that's, that's the spirit, exactly. But um, so many of us are just like really showing up, you know, like Chikuchi talk. And um, that's diligence, yeah, being there, showing up. And that's 50%. I mean, it really, really don't get me wrong doing this conversation here. That's a lot. Showing up, being there, that's massive. And, um, and, and I've been doing that too, you know, and, and, but looking at it, I do notice to which extent I'm showing up and to which extent am I'm like, you know, um, kind of like wanting more, <laughs> you know, kind of feel like I'm just going through the motion kind of feeling. So the question is like, I want to kind of explore diligence here in the sense of like, um, you know, what is that extra step that happens after we show up? And I think, so in this way, maybe we can divide diligence into two ways. There's this diligence of like, you know, being the beginner, you know, wanting to really know, wanting to find out, wanting to learn trust, you know, having that kind of diligence, you know, what did the Buddha teach? What is the teaching all about? What is the practice all about? How do I sit? You know, how do you know what's the session like? How is Oyoki like? There's this diligence of showing up to these events and learning all of that. And, um, and then you know, there's this diligence after a while of like, okay, I learned all of that. I kind of get the gist, you know, but now what, you know? 
And, um, and I think that's like a step of um, inquiry, I fear, and brutal honesty inquiry step um, is up, you know, showing up. And then first of all, I think one has to kind of admit this, this wish of want that something should happen. <laughs> you know, like how many of people think or thought on the first part of your Zen training that there would something happen? Can we be honest here? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm still looking, yeah. <laughs> it's like, isn't there something that, you know, supposed to happen within myself, you know? or in the meditation cushion or, you know, and, um, and that's why in order to have people, you know, to make it more accessible, I thought, let's really look at the diligence of the parameter, you know, so there's the six parameters, as you know, generosity, uh, discipline, and patience, and diligence, and then concentration and wisdom, six, six parameters. And um, that the first five are kind of like the kind of um, engagement. It's really all about engagement. I mean, you get hands on things to do, right? Generosity and, uh, you know, practice giving, practice showing up, practice um, um, the contemplating those three wheels of um, generosity, which is the emptiness, the equality of the giver, receiver, and the gift. So we got the different... Um, layers there to already contemplate in our actions and our training, you know, to generosity and then uh, discipline, which is um, the kind of, um, you know, committing to wholesome actions, committing to truth, committing to honesty um, and patience, you know, to be like there's pain, you know, we have aversion to things, you know, restraining anger, um, that kind of training. And then diligence uh, is kind of building on that. Um, diligence, birria, birria parameter, is also translated as energy, um, con con like energy, um, enthusiasm. We can talk about enthusiasm too, birria. I was a little disappointed when I looked into the root of virya, which is uh, manliness. It's kind of from Sanskrit, man. But like, then I was reminded that in, in India, they have really a different way of going about the um, genders. So um, instead of feeling offended, I took it as like, it's a young kind of type, like a virya in a form of young versus yin, you know? And so, you know, women have, Viria as much as men do, or men have yin as much as women do. So it's, it's not fixed to which organs we are having, but to kind of energetic expression. So um, viria, energy, um, enthusiasm, diligence. Um, and, and so, yeah, so there's this diligence, what I was saying, it's this kind of this beginner mind diligence of kind of going into a new topic, going into discovering Buddhism, what is a, you know, how does one ring a bell kind of exploration of Zen training. And, and most of us have explored that. So how is it now, um, is the next part. And I, I think the part I wanted to hope um, you, you kind of started contemplating about how is it, um, sitting on the cushion, you know, what is the different and the energy that's needed in order to, you know, not after 10, 20 years, 
30 years, 50 years, some of you um, to stay with this practice and to you know, stay open, to stay um, disciplined, um, patient, generous, you know, inquiring into this mind. What is that kind of energy? And in particular, I think one way it comes out in sitting is um, there's dullness and then there's um, being agitated. And these are the two elements that show up during our sasana quite a bit. Yeah. So uh, and we are told, you know, if you if you feel dull and you feel sleepy, you concentrate more on the upper part. Or if you feel agitated, you breathe into the belly. You concentrate on the lower part and you manage in that way. Yeah. Similar, if you're too hot, you know, you get less clothing on, or if you're too cold, you put clothing on. So there's some regularity going on that we are training in and that we are doing. Um, and yet, in a way, part of me feels like, well, isn't that kind of just still engaging dualism, you know, big time? Is, aren't we just like entrapped and constantly kind of um, micromanaging our, you know, well-being, you know, isn't that kind of a dualistic project? And is that really what the Buddha meant with diligence? So I want to open up here for any of you to like come forward and share your experience of diligence in your meditation practice. First question, how is it, how, how would you say it shows up in your practice? Any image that comes up for you or any, um, question you want to explore in this conversation here. Okay. Uh, good morning, Shoho. Can you hear me? Yeah, I hear you back right here. Wonderful. Um, thanks for getting us started today. Um, a, a few things have come up as I've listened. Uh, I liked how, um, well, I heard the phrase just going through the motions and I, I felt that uh, Hmm. holding that next to how important it is to merely to just to show up, to try, to set an intention. Um, I feel like that in the moment I heard you say, just going through the motions, I felt like, oh, have I been undervaluing that, the going through the motions, the showing up, the, um, and when I say showing up, that can mean, mean, it can mean many different things. It can mean, you know, merely getting my carcass to the zendo when, um, when I'm supposed to. Um, it can mean letting go of my own ideas about what I think should get done today and to serve what's happening right around me right now. That to me is showing up. Um, and many times I have to, with some will, stop doing what my own attention is on and say, wait a minute, what else is going on around here that probably needs some attention that needs, needs some assistance. Um, so those are a couple of things that have arisen. And if I can continue um, today, just in my sit today, I noticed that um, 
in contrast to the to the uh, what I heard you say as a practice of continually managing whether or not I'm too agitated or whether or not I'm too dull. I think my practice is that I often I notice agitation or dullness, and I'm extremely gentle about whether or not I'm trying to change or manage it. I'm I'm I try to be very accepting of what I'm noticing about what's happening. And that um, what I do when I, when I realize I'm noticing and judging something about my state, I, I try to just say, well, what is, what is my breath doing? And today I, um, I'm realizing that I, tr I endeavor to serve my breath. I, I noticed myself today in my sit, how can I serve my breath? you know, when I put my attention back to it, what's this, how can I serve my breath? And immediately I realized, well, get out of its way, get, get out of the way of trying to serve it. It knows what to do and maybe just notice it. So that's what I'll offer. Um, and thanks for um, creating a situation where I could bring it up and share it with all. I feel very inspired by what you just shared. And thank you. And Hogan and 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 I also hear a certain um, ease um, about your observation of you know your state and and that's a, that's what sounds inspiring to me. So I appreciate it. I don't know. Do you feel at ease when you observe your breath and um, just being aware of it? Yes, I do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that if there's an ease, it, it, that sounds so inspiring in the sense of like, um, are we really etching into completeness? And I think a lot of the Zen conversation is, um, can we be complete with an agitated or a dull mind? And, um, and for me, it's sometimes it's just like, um, um, yes, and what's the next thing? You know, <laughs> like, it's like, like being able to rest there yeah, want to add something to mm -hmm. it? Yeah. Yes, and we and can we be complete just going through the motions? Well, that is the question. Or yeah, we'll be complete when we find we're judging ourselves for just going through the motions. Where's the wholeness and completeness in that as well? Right, it's right. there. Of course, it's there. Fine, yeah. you know. It totally uh, is a place to bring up what Suzuki Roshi says in, in Send Mind Beginner's book, all about right effort and, you know, right diligence is absolutely, he keeps, you know, um, adding on um, everything about don't ever expect anything, you know, don't want anything, you know, if you want anything, you're totally off track. And, and you know, honestly, for me, it has been sound kind of harsh, you know, that kind of you know, no gaining because it's so counteractive to our culture that we live in. You know, it's like we are not raised that way. And I'm definitely, uh, you know, um, noticing tens or hundreds of things during the day where I'm doing something for a purpose, you know, like, you know, I'm, I'm cooking something in order to eat it, you know, I'm, I'm like cleaning in order to, you know, have clean laundry later. I mean, there's so many things we do for an outcome throughout the day, if you want it or not, it's just, a very natural ingrained uh, way of approaching our day. Like we wouldn't go through, I mean, it's, I don't think it has happened much for me going through the day, not wanting 
um, doing something without wanting an outcome. And so uh, for him to just say, oh no, you know, the right effort is don't want anything. It's just like, first it kind of feels scratchy. You know, it feels a little bit like, ouch, you know, what do you mean? You know, what is it? Hogan, you just, did you want to say that something? Yeah, yeah. Oh, this is, this is great. And uh, uh, <laughs> a way that arose to, to look at this is, um, uh, you know, acceptance is, is important. And, and I find that I can accept that this, this human consciousness that I experience has always wanted things, wants things continually. It, it always arises. And perhaps what, what Ro Suzuki Roshi was um, suggesting was, well, don't let this practice add another want to the pile of wants that we must manage all the time anyway. Mm -hmm. They're going to be there. Um, but be careful to not make the practice itself become another more urgent want. I mean, how is that helping anything? Um, mm -hmm. uh, one of the beauties of, to me, the Zen practice is, it seems to me that although it has roots that go thousands of years back, there's been good effort to find things that were ornamentation and not helpful and set them aside and keep coming back to the simplest of things. And it seems that to keep things very simple, we would be careful to not add a, a desire to gain something, to, to achieve something to this thing we're calling practice. And at the same time, we accept that, yeah, the human psyche, the human, the human psyche is out of my control. I'm part of a social organism that functions on planning and wants and desires. It's always going to be there, you know, and um, this, I, I hope I saw you laugh. That's good. Thank you. Yeah, no, and I appreciate it because I really found like you found your spot and I want to hear how other people found a spot with that um, sense of, you know, right effort is, you know, to not desire, because I still have a lot to say about that part in the sense of like, um, that, um, by appreciate Hogan's ease, I, you know, opposite that with someone ease, there's still someone ease there for me, I'm happy to talk about, but first I want to see what other people mm -hmm. say to, yeah, Peter. Oh, Peter, you have to unmute yourself. The no, hi, um, the no gaining idea uh, as we practice right effort. Um, for, for me after, you know, and I raised my hand as one of those who uh, expected something to happen for quite a few years, uh, but I'm only still coming back with diligence because I've been able to let go of that some way. <laughs> um, um, but part of the letting go of, of results, um, like you were saying, when you, you cook because you want to eat or you do your laundry because you need clean clothes to wear. And of course, there are myriad examples of that. Um, but to me, it's the um, letting go of accepting what comes as a result of that effort. Uh, mm -hmm. ac accepting the food as it is, you make your best effort and um, not wanting it, needing it to be a certain way, uh, mm -hmm. 
accepting the results of your effort, the, the, the quality of the laundry and the, uh, the quality of the, the mind during zazen. Uh, there's an effort there, but accepting whatever the result is, you know, there's going to be a result of, we live in a, a life of cause and uh, cause, cause and result. Um, but um, it's, it's that acceptance of what results that um, makes it possible to continue with the, with the diligence without getting frustrated uh, and uh, continue as Coben said, you know, he said, we're gonna get tired of bowing as a result of the practice he gave us. So if we can continue to bow, no matter what the result of our effort is, we can continue to come back and, and be here. That's beautiful. What I hear you say um, is also kind of a coupling of diligence with the, the practice of surrender, which is, you know, sometimes something to look at if it's a surrender that's kind of a capitalization, kind of, well, that's just how it is. Or is it a surrender that's really just like, like I appreciate what you're saying. This is my best offer. This is actually what I'm giving. This is just like, it's a manifestation um, of my, you know, of my effort. It's something that I'm, I'm giving and I'm, I like it. I mean, I, I kind of heard you also say, you know, like there's a sense of appreciation for it. Is that what I? Yes, yeah. De definitely. Yeah. Somebody asked Randall. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I think of just the idea of showing up and, and how in different parts of my life and times of my life, as it's sort of moved on and my different degrees of really showing up and maybe big gaps of not showing up. And, and, um, I, I think I kind of relate that value of showing up to the years that I taught high school. And I'd, we take what we do off the cushion and we will stand up and we go out into the world, whether it be an office or a grocery store working or whatever. And I went to a high school and there were times where I was just so frazzled with my life of raising kids and, and teaching and da, da 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 that it was, you know, my sitting was real sporadic, but there'd be times when I would say, said, I got to sit, regardless of it means waking up an hour earlier in the morning. Mm -hmm. uh, I need to do this because I take this. And I don't know if that's a gaining idea with that, but I go out there and I was thinking that um, I want to be able to handle whatever comes my way. Mm -hmm. And when you're dealing with about 40 kids per class, five classes a day, boom, 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 you and they're all, <laughs> all teenagers. <laughs> it, uh, you know, there's been times where I, I, I have responded to kids of that age in a lot of different ways. But I just remember when I was consistently sitting or more into my body, I'd handle it a lot better. Um, so I, I you know, partly that's a value. I mean, I've been retired for 10 years, but I still 
that those memories are still pretty clear that be able to um, not react, to take a deep breath and not to react to some rude kid giving you their stuff, you know? And uh, um, yeah, I mean, that's, um, that was, you know, and I haven't, I've done other things besides teaching and, and there's a value in the sitting with that. And yeah, but yeah, just showing up on the cushion and day to day, I mean, just day to day of my life here, going out to other, even in pandemic of going to the grocery store, doing this and that, just being around people and um, as little as it is, it's, uh, uh, I guess that's my gaining idea. I think I'm getting something out of it. But, you know, um, so um, gaining idea, that's an interesting idea. You know, what the expectations are, are there expectations in sitting? Mm -hmm. I just know that over the years, um, people change. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know what I would be like if I'd never took up Zazen or never started sitting. And, uh, you know, years ago. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's a big question. Of, uh, but I think, I think it has changed me. And especially, you know, those moments when I would uh, go to school and work with kids when I was real consistently sitting in the morning and being, you know, and, and then times when, times when I wasn't, when it was just too much or stuff like that. So I know, anyway, so. No, really, what I hear you say, and I really appreciate it bringing up because that's pulling in the um, aspect of diligence, which is, uh, it's called, also called joyful effort in, in some translation or joyful, um, yeah, joyful diligence, joyful energy. So like you were describing, you felt like it gave you, it, it was a different quality in your interactions throughout the day. Yeah. you had that sitting in the morning or not. So you saw something that was actually very beneficial and uh, you aspired to have it in your life rather than not have it in life. You opted for having that quality in your life. And so it, get, it sounded like, I mean, that sounded like close to me, a beautiful description of what, what that joyful aspect of diligence could mean. Just mm -hmm. this kind of sense of, this is uh, precious. I need this. This is... I want to live with this quality, you know, and now the phrasing comes up and I'm not sure I'm supposed to say it like that, what I get out of Sasa, you know. Yeah. Well, it makes me a better person. <laughs> yeah, in, it makes you a better situation. person. I mean, mm -hmm. and then that's very, um, I don't know, if that's in, in a certain way that feels like a gaining idea. Right. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, it, it doesn't, it, it's, but it's day to day. It's, 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 it's not like I sit once, I'm going to be that way forever. No, it's, 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 it's a day-to-day -day practice and, day -day. and letting that sink in deeper and deeper that how important it is. So, I don't know. So. I think like, I think in general, I would definitely like, could have bumbled, keep bumbling into the language of religious state of like, I'm getting something out of Sasan if I wouldn't have heard of the teachings of Buddha nature, because one really clear definition of Buddha nature teachings are like, we, um, we see 
uh, and recognize in ourselves and in others something that's so much ourself um, that we want to just be more of it. And um, and that in, bottom line, that's kindness. I mean, it's it's the kindness that we you know we are drawn to doing. You know, we are drawn to helping others. We are drawn to um, you know, wanting to be treated kindly and treating other kindly. So that I feel like maybe this is a place to actually like understand diligence more by like reflecting on these Buddha nature uh, teachings, because it helps us to understand the joyful aspect. How come we keep going showing up? How come we kind of wanting to, you know, engage something? Is it really we're getting something out of it? Um, how can we get something if we already are, right? So maybe that's maybe the strictness of Suzuki Roshi's, oh, you, um, if you try to get something, don't do that, that's wrong effort. But if you wanna get what you already are, no problem, go for it. In fact, like indulge in it, you know, like if you like feel the kindness more Susasan that you already are, because that's who you are, you can't like not have it. I mean, it's like, you already it, <laughs> you already it. So in that way, Maybe that's going around this big admonition of don't have any gaining ideas by like really recognizing, no, I'm actually not gaining anything. I'm just really uncovering who I am and that I'm going for it. And in fact, I want it and I want it so much that I like, they really make aspirations for it every day. And I desire it. I like, I like, I like put all my like passion on it. And um, yeah, and, 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 and our habit of wanting something you know, <laughs> our habit of wanting something, if you put it onto something that we already are, then we kind of like not fall out of this dualistic kind of um, game. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I, uh, is it okay if I read um, a little few sentences from Suzuki Roshi? Because he says it so beautifully, I just want to. Say it. <laughs> yeah, it's from not always so. It's uh, from a uh, lecture called Be Kind With Yourself. Uh, so he says, so we put emphasis on warm heart, warm zazen. The warm feeling we have in our practices, in other words, the enlightenment or Buddha's mercy, Buddha's mind. It is not just a matter of counting your breath or following your breath. If counting the breath is tedious, it may be better just to follow the breath. But the point is, while inhaling and exhaling, to take care of the breath, just as a mother watches her baby. How do you understand it? If a baby smiles, its mother will smile. If a baby cries, its mother is worried. That kind of close relationship, being one with your practice is the point. I'm not talking about anything new here. The same old things. How do you understand it? What what touched you about that, Kavi? His kindness. Kindness. Um, Well, he talks about Suzuki Roshi. I mean, everybody, everybody has been talking about the same things here. So I, I don't know if I have anything. Uh, I think we're all in the same space and the same feeling. But uh, uh, 
the way the mother takes care of their child touches me. Buddha's mercy touches me. Uh, the sense of kindness towards everything touches me. Uh, not trying to get anywhere touches me. So there's got to be a space in our life, some place where we do something for the love of it. Mm-hmm. Something useless, like listening to music or taking a hike or, you know, the freedom in it touches me. Nice, yeah. Thank you. That's very powerful. And I'm also reminded of, you know, like our sand training, um, you know, in the beginning, um, there's just, like I said, there's all this energy we put out in order to, you know, accomplish the awakening that should happen any minute. And um, as Angie Boyce at one point pointed out so nicely, she feels like all these, she said like she felt all these sand forms were really just made for 18 year olds, you know, 18 year olds, young males, you know, who like have a lot of energy and testosterone and really need to kind of shout and scream and, you know, run and, and put a lot of energy out there. And then it is true because later on the sand master talk about grandmother mind, right? Like you want to realize grandmother mind and, and how much is that um, kind of returning to kindness? I almost feel like, you know, if you, um, if you would have it all around, like, you know, if you, if you have a loving mother that always cooks for you and nurtures you, at one point, you know, you get tired, you need to like, you know, and, you know, especially as a kid, you might need to go out and discover the world and find your own person. So, but then to return kind of to the source in our old age, it makes so much sense because we appreciate it because we know how hard it is. We, we know how often things don't work out the way we want to and how disappointing life can be. And then to like come back to kindness, it, it has a place because then we really, we, you know, we found our boundaries and then we understand um, how we can, uh, that the only way we can really accept these boundaries is um, through, through kindness. Um, one example I have with that is I went once in my training when I really was trying to push my boundaries to my Zen teacher, Rev Anderson, and um, I was like, I'm going on a five-day solo retreat. I'm like, you know, and I want kind of um, do what the ascetics do, the 13 um, practices in Buddhism one can do kind of as additional burden that one can take on and I really wanted to take on something else to push my boundaries so I wanted to not lie down for like those five days I don't didn't want to lie down I just wanted to sit and just sleep sitting you know just not give my body the rest but really just stay in the sasan pasture for those five days and he was like closing his eyes and and then he looked up to and he checked on my mutra. Interestingly, he was looking at my mutra, and my mutra happened to be perfect at that moment. <laughs> so he was like, "Okay, do it," you know. And um, so I went to this retreat, and I made it through one night. And then the second night, I was so miserable; I just couldn't stand it. I was just utterly painful to just keep sitting. Like I was leaning against the wall, trying. It was just like my body was just like sliding down the wall. It's just I want to lie down. It was just like this natural. It was just so painful to do something that's, um, you know, I mean, I just didn't have any joy in it, period. And so I really noticed the only way I could have done something hard or difficult was through kindness, interestingly. Like it wasn't anything that could have 
help me in that moment. Nothing, you know, no wisdom teaching or anything. <laughs> it would have only gone through something hard as a kindness. It's just this kind of sense of, you know, you're okay. Pain is part of this world and growing beyond pain. I think that's probably what kindness is. It's just growing beyond pain and like being able to give pain a place in this world. Um, and, and yeah, and that's something to be learned. Ultimately, it's interesting that back to what you're saying, what Sasuke Yoshi is saying, it's really just the mother looking at the child, you know, looking at our own inner um, abilities growing and maturing slowly, slowly. Um, sorry, I just talked, noticed maybe I've talked fast. I'm sorry, please tell me if I'm not. The other thing I wanted to just came up, uh, I wanted to say is, you know, uh, again, I'm pretty sure it's common here. Uh, I'm not sure what I suspect is common. Uh, is that like, uh, uh, like uh, the journey of life and the journey of practice is like a, being on a roller coaster in some sense. It's like going on a long trip with detours. Uh, in, my, in my own life, I can say, I've walked away, I've come back. But there is an invisible thread that never left from the time I heard the Dharma, probably before, before I heard the Dharma. But when I heard the Dharma, it made that thread visible, invisible thread visible. So sometimes you're in the dark, you don't, you don't really can't, you, I'm confused, I get confused a lot, so I can't find my way. But I have some faith that there is people who have found their way. So there's like a devotional, for, for myself, there's a devotional aspect to practice, like Suzuki Roshi, Nako Benchino Roshi, my teacher Angie, other masters, you know. So that kind of like takes it out of my, my hands my limited capability, you know. Yes. And, I, and I rely on the grace and kindness of the ones that came before. And I wish you know, um, that's, I think, what you're speaking of and what um, I think is true for all of us is um, on one side, the power of aspiration that we do um, and that nurtures our abilities to um, keep trusting. I think trust is really something earned, you know, and, and, and when you're saying you were able to keep that trust, I hear it also like you were able to keep being diligent about your faith in the Dharma and your, you know, wanting to return to it and wanting you know, to, to believe that it's meaningful for you. Um, so, but, um, and when you bring in your teachers as support, I feel like, there is something to be said about um, aspiration, dedication, you know, kind of like what we did doing service right now, kind of going a little bit through the motion here too. But as Hogan pointed out, it's not a bad thing because, you know, these words are actually really powerful. Um, wanting to wish beings benefit, wanting to wish others help. So, um, and I can imagine uh, that teachers in particular, you know, are having that wish for the students. And that wish, no matter where that student is, it has a power. It has, like you were just witnessing um, that it, you felt that you really, um, 
you know, despite contact or not contact, there was a certain trust and an um, ability and a connection that maintained. Um, so, um, it, so diligence in that sense, one can, um, I could add here, has a lot to do with um, aspiration, the aspiration of wanting to reach enlightenment, the aspiration of wanting to, um, um, wanting to help others. I think that kind of, it kind of keeps, in order for diligence joyful, I think the wish for, to help others is right there. <laughs> um, and it, it goes uh, into aspirations and into dedication. So these are aspects that seem to be surrounding diligence because it comes together with that joy or that energy or that and enthusiasm to um, engage the Dharma. Um, and it has an effect, as, as you just were witnessing, um, it has an effect, seen or unseen, um, to, to have, to aspire, to uh, wish others well, to uh, wanting to understand the Dharma fully, to, to reach enlightenment. And, um, and, and in this way, it's, it's showing up in our liturgy, in the Zen liturgy, it shows up um, uh, um, quite a bit. Um, they make in many literatures, one that have been translated into the West, they make mostly um, the point of wisdom, um, Zen being a wisdom tradition, I find. Um, um, but I, I would say if we would, as Westerners who had a little more faith in rituals, <laughs> we might translate also more texts and more Zen literature that has more aspiration in it. Um, but I guess they are very subdued in Zen because it always, they're so careful about establishing a future or some goal that, you know, one would then have as a dualistic object of desire. So, but if it's always within uh, ourselves and that would be um, aspirations of um, reaching enlightenment, you know, for ourselves or for others, that, you know, you can, I think we need to find language for it more, but it, it would be really good to, um, to, to explore that more in our language, because like, if we don't do these long rituals that they actually do in Japan, then we need to find our expression for it in our culture. And that would be a nice homework to, to explore, you know, how can we express our diligence, our enthusiasm, our love for the Dharma, you know, how it doesn't have to be words, you know, what is that expression? Okay. Somebody want to say something? Hogan, you saying something? Hogan is saying diligence is an important theme today. An anagram of the word diligence is nice Clyde. What do you say more about that, Hogan? I apologize for interrupting with that just bit of wordplay, but I, I have a habit of when a word is echoing and being said many times, I'm curious to see what those letters, those same letters might. Oh, the same letters. You also, yeah. So diligence, if you rearrange the letters, you come up with the words, nice glide. And uh, I, I love the, um, the contrast between the feeling I get when I say diligence and the feeling I get when I say nice glide, but they're made of the same letters and the feelings are made of the same stuff. And uh, I just thought I'd try to share that. Okay. 
<laughs> it reminds me of mm. me thinking about uh, one way to think about elegance was that I'm not a surfer, but is surfing, uh, which goes together with your word game. Um, because I, that's kind of a force of nature. Uh, one visibly can actively try to hop on and ride. <laughs> and um, as many of us, uh, I mean, I always kind of think of these servers, look at, at them, we can all see them in Santa Cruz. It's like, how come they have all this patience to like, just for this short half minute ride or whatever, to like go out there and wait for the long. And, you know, I mean, it's a lot of enthusiasm for this, this ride. And, um, and at the same time, it's happening every day. Like, I feel like in my meditation practice, I'm not sure how's that for you. You know, we sit and we make the effort to show up. And then, you know, it is kind of a meeting. If, it, if that diligence, that joyful effort, that really knowing I'm here in the right spot, there's nothing else I need, I feel complete. If that kind of energy comes up, it does feel kind of like a ride of, um, you know, of, of feeling, um, this is why I've been doing all this effort, you know. Uh, ultimately, in the in the Tibetan tradition, they're like called the, the first five parameters. They kind of call them as kind of the merit building um, parameters, um, and the wisdom the wisdom part is a completion. So um, diligence still being in that. Basically, I could, one could also maybe describe it as like the um, effort or the commitment, like diligence being more of a commitment of wanting to taste wisdom or wanting to taste non-duality, um, you know, which, which is in, uh, nurtured and um, furthered through the practice of generosity and discipline and patience. There is kind of like a, um, you know, we, we build merit, we build momentum, you know, through these and then diligence being a commitment, adding that commitment um, level to it of wanting to taste non-duality, wanting to bring non-duality into our life and wanting to, you know, really live our Buddha nature. Um, yeah. And, and taste that wisdom, taste the wisdom that, that speaks of that. Um, and then all our actions that we do for that. So I'm noticing we're running out of time. It, it helped a lot of our last comments or questions or anything. Or, Kadir? You know, yes, yes, Kader. Yeah. Yeah. Hi. Okay. Hi. Um, I do have more, you know, question and kind of connecting um, um, you know, Peter's point with Kaveh's point, you know, Kaveh's point about kindness, and Peter's point about um, accepting the outcome, um, regardless of what the outcome is because you know you are you, you know you're being diligent you've committed to the practice and you trust that things will be fine you whatever the outcome you have in mind it will come at the right time that's that's more of a faith or trust yes and and it's, it's very comforting to, to hear that because i feel like part of being kind to yourself is to not you not set yourself for frust for frustration because if you set that outcome and that outcome does not occur you immediately become unkind to yourself because like why wasn't i able to did i not put enough effort into this was i not committed enough did i not, you know all all these thoughts and and um i don't know as as a as a beginner in zen and i'd, I'd love to 
learn a little bit more about what kind of what's kind of the Zen mindset that a student kind of should have as they start their journey in in, in Zen. So it's more it's more of an observation and a question um, to you. So. Yes, and and uh, thanks for bringing that up because I feel it's an, uh, definitely an exploration. Like you're saying, it's something that is one has to kind of find for oneself or like within oneself. Um, but how is your experience so far with it? Would you? How's you? Um, so I so I started um, Zen practice um, in actually um, the Dharma. Zen Center in Crestone, Colorado. Um, um, yes, in. I'm in no, Crestone right now. This way. Are you in Crestone right now? That is great. That's a, that's a oh, yeah. Um So yeah, I actually spent two weeks um, in Crestone. More than that, a little bit. Um, three years ago, but um, I that's that's when I started my practice. But um, I kind of disconnected from practice, unfortunately, during graduate school, and. Um, and I think um, there has been something missing in my life and, and I am passionately wanting to get back to the practice and integrate it as an essential element of my life. So I am, yeah. so it's, the practice, you know, I'm, I'm just starting to get back, um, but um, um, you know, it, it has impacted me in, in, a, in, a, in a very beautiful way, even though you know, my practice has been very modest in comparison to the audience, but it's still, um, it still has in fact been very beautiful. No, no, it sounds like you, you're being guided from some inner wish, you know, yearning, which I, you know, in this context of our conversation, it's definitely diligence in the sense of, you know, the joyful, um, uh, a joyful curiosity or effort or, and, um, and that's super important, and, and I'm so glad to bring that up. You're on it. <laughs> um, anything else? I'm really running out of time here. Is it... So how about um, you do the closing chant, and then uh, whoever wants to still share something, or and, and the people who had to go have to go. May our intentions equally extend to every being and place with the true merit of Buddha's way. Beings are numberless, I vow to save them. Illusions are inexhaustible, I vow to lend them. Dharma gates are boundless, I vow to enter them. Buddha's ways and surpasses, I vow to remember. Thank you very much for coming today. For those, any who would like to stay and just have conversation, um, I'll stay here as a um, Co-host until up until one o'clock. Uh, if you'd like to, if you want to just um, socialize.
We have a session coming up. That's the Tanjue session. And uh, that will be guided by Kokyo Henkel, who's here on our screen, starting on the 5th, on the 5th, 5th of April. And it's against, could you say a, a few things about it, Kokyo? This session will be uh, celebrating Buddha's birthday. That's Tanjo A. And also be a study session, Genzo A session on an essay of Dogen Zenji on Samadhi, that is the king of all Samadhis, also called Zazen. So study and sitting together and discussion of Zazen. And uh, it's, you, you sent us the PDF of the, of the uh, fascicle, didn't you? So that's available to everyone, I, I think. Yes, that information is available on the website. Um, you can download the uh, Faxical uh, and um, get all the other information. It's available from the home page. You can link right to the event page and registration is open. And please join us if you can. It's going to be a very nice week with two Dharma talks per day. So thank you. Thank you, Shoho. Thank you very much for teaching us today. Thank you. You sure. Yeah. <laughs>people who know each other from before even if this pandemic started so it's not our random group which is nice to be joined in a group of community in a community it feels like community yeah how are you guys doing with everything <laughs> sure hi Pamela. Um, I wanted to say that I, I thought about the word diligence a lot while we were sitting because I think the cycle for me is goes from this mysterious feeling of like, what am I doing every morning? <laughs> like, what am I doing? I just keep going there. And at the end, there's this mysterious sense of I have no idea what I'm getting out of this. But in the middle, there is this... Um, I guess a field of allowing. That's how it feels to me. There's this field of allowing. When you mentioned non-duality, that's what it feels like where there's this field where, you know, there's some, you know, all these distant faces of myself and everybody else. And I just let it all hang out and it's okay. Like it's all okay there. Um, and it doesn't feel good or bad. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't have the assessment piece. And I think that's why I keep coming back in the morning. 
And it's, and it's not that it's like a piece of candy, you know, it's not always pretty, but it's also not unpretty. It just seems like it's an okay place. And then the, the only place I think it, I ever get anything out of it is when I get up. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how I feel like maybe there's some, something mysterious at work um, in my action and in my family, in the world, with my dog. And because when I'm sitting, that's the mystery of why I go there in the first place has to do with, I always think of it as mothering. You know, like I'm taking care of all of the people who show up when I'm sitting there. So nurturing quality to you. It's kind of, it's nurturing to you. And it changes the rest of your life, sounds like. I think the, the allowing thing is nurturing, where I just say it's okay, whatever comes. Yeah, and, uh, yeah I think in it, there's some piece of that that's very kind of honest, really very, very honest. And um, like there's no pretending in there. Mm-hmm. So... At the beginning, I really don't know what I'm doing, though. I got to say, I don't know what I'm doing there. Every day, I feel like, what am I doing? Almost every day. But I just keep doing it. So obviously, there's a payoff somewhere. <laughs> and, uh, and I think it's in the allowing. Yeah. Well, and the honesty, I mean, the Tulka uh, Ergonomy, one of my teachers, he uh, kind of keeps describing the whole path as just the path of honesty leads to honesty. So like being... Um, the awakened part of you getting out of it is <laughs> already like really embedded in this utterly accept, like allowing, you know, in that acceptance and that um, it, it being, uh, being really honest about our, ourselves and our lives, um, which then, you know, comes in various forms of discrimination. Like you're saying the beginning and the end when your discriminating mind is the most active, that's really how a habit, you know, I mean, you're just so used to, making distinctions and so forth. And we won't escape it because it's just very strong. It's just like learning more about our habitual ways of doing that definitely kind of, um, you know, adds more space. Which is interesting because um, one thing I want to bring up, I guess it didn't come up, was that um, I'm actually doing these days more deity practice, but one thing we're doing in Sasan is also deity practice. It's actually like Vyochana's body, right? We're going to the Vyochana pasture. There's something about the pasture that's like um, channel that gives the channels and winds, like, you know, uh, Jenny, maybe no more in the yoga sense, some, some, the pasture really helps the inner energies to flow. Um, and so that commitment and that um, to, to um, the embodiment of, of awakening in a way, like some, some beauty balanced, balanced, complete state <laughs> in which everything is allowed, is bodily and mentally kind of like um, enacted uh, in, this, in, this, in our pasture. And that's why I guess Dogen was so, um, bold to just say oh you just need to do this and that's enough because there's just so much completeness already in the embodiment uh, that you know body mind and heart emotion coming together and yeah no there's a lot there of what you shared and I really treasure your commitment and your diligence to uh, 
showing up to that allowing. Yeah. Thank you. Anybody else want to share something? It's, um, uh, it's John here at, at Jokoji. And um, I'm struck with how many times the image of the mother caring for her child is used in the in the teachings and the chants that we do. Yeah. And um, it, it strikes me that that's something that we can all recognize and relate to. We know it when we see it. And we know it when we feel it. Um, currently, there's a teaching, a sort of popular teaching circulating that I, I see as being related. And that is the uh, concept of being good enough parents, a good enough mother. Mm -hmm. And uh, a book on that topic, I believe. The author was asked to um, elucidate that, explain it or talk about it. He said, um, being a mother doesn't mean being perfect. It means always being there for your child. So being a good enough parent means you show up for your child. You let them know that you're always there for them. They don't have to meet certain requirements to for that to happen. You're just there. Being good enough is protecting them, caring for them, is showing up. I think that's um, interesting that that um, form of, a, of that teaching is circulating now. And it's a medicine for our culture. I feel in our culture, there is so much um, perfectionism and um, I, I want to call it Abrahamic residue, kind of coming from the Christian tradition, some kind of sense of living with a God for centuries where you're not good enough, you know, like there was no chance to reach enlightenment in this lifetime. Um, th that wasn't even mentioned, you know, you just, you know, were lucky when you felt good enough that you might make it to heaven afterwards. So it, that coming out of that kind of conceptual framework where you always were kind of bad in some way, um, that, um, that we like still needing that medicine really to be like, we are okay as we are, you know, we're, we're, we're needing that medicine and we need to drink it, we need to remind ourselves and we need to demonstrate it. Um, I feel like particularly the shame that comes out of feeling uh, having done something wrong or having not done enough good things in this life because your religion tells you or your parents tell you or you, whatever uh, social structure we kind of build. And that's a social pain and we need to heal it in social circumstances. Prini Brown is like really an advocate for that. And, and in this way, that's where your teachings that you're just bringing up fits in. Can we socially help each other? Um, Sensen is a good place for that to really like come with, you know, whatever you do, whatever you bring, you're, you're complete, you're good, you're, you're wholesome. 
um, and, and also this, um, so it's this teaching of kindness, uh, but it's also teaching of wisdom there because again, it really addresses the Buddha nature aspect of us. The kindness um, is the sign of our Buddha nature. Where we see kindness, we see our true nature. And can we see it in other people? Can we see it in ourselves over and over again? Um, yes, it's, it's a powerful teaching to, to uh, give ourselves. And that the mother is definitely um, the image. It comes up twice in the, in the Parma Viharas. It's one time it's a mother that um, is a bird mother that feeds his chickens. It's that kind of mother who's like, really nurturing and giving and caring. That's love, an image for loving kindness. And another image for mother is for compassion, which is a mother with no arms who sees its own child, its only child fall into a rushing river and be swept away. You know, that kind of not being able to do anything about the pain and the despair uh, and the loss of one's own child. So there's these two aspects of mothering. Mothering on one side being, you know, you know, uh, caring and being there for your engagement and your meeting and, and your more present moment being loving and caring, but at the same time, also the one who's letting your heart be fully broken, you know, like broken open, like that kind of mother who, you know, just like, I love my child, I love myself and I'm hurting and my child is hurting or my event is not working out the way I wanted to, like being with the pain, being with the that kind of compassion, um, um, that, that's the image for compassion. So mothering, like two types of mothering, two sides of mothering, yeah. And it's powerful image, absolutely, yeah. Is it okay if I share a story from Bernie Glassman? Please, it comes up right now, yeah. Uh, uh. It's a little bit disturbing, but maybe in this crowd it'd be okay to share. Uh, so, Barry Glassman, you know, Tetsugian, penetrator of mysteries, one of the greatest Zen masters in, in the West. Uh, he, he had an epiphany after he was enlightened. He was sitting in the back of the car in LA, they're driving. And he saw the suffering in the world. And on the spot, I think it was in his early 40s, he dedicated the rest of his life to social, social causes. So one of the things that he did is he decided to do like the practice of confronting fear. And he actually says in Chinese, the uh, word compassion has two radicals. One radical is to remove fear. So Avalokiteshvara is one who removes fear. So it goes in dark places and removes fear. So one of the things that he did was he went to Rwanda after the, he'd done a lot of things. He went to Auschwitz, Birkenau, you know, many places. Uh, but, but one of the things that he did was um, he went to Rwanda after the genocide. Um, he worked with, along with people with peace and reconciliation and a story that he says is that he rented the stadium, they rented the group rented the stadium, like not a stadium, sorry, a huge high school, 50,000 people showed up, 50,000 people showed up. And uh, uh, in, that, in that gathering, um, somehow 
a man showed up uh, who had committed heinous thing. He had, uh, this mother was, when they attacked the village, this mother was holding her baby and holding a baby in her arm. Mm -hmm. And the man killed the baby and chopped the arm of the mother off, who was holding the baby. And he came to ask for forgiveness. And uh, apparently he'd been asking for forgiveness for five years from this woman. He had gone to her and asked for five years for forgiveness. And somehow in that space that Glassman created and others like him created, she forgave him. Wow. So like uh, everything's contained. Avalokiteshvara was the one who saw the truth of emptiness, mm -hmm. the mother of the Buddhas. That's, that's you know, the motivation is there. Maybe that's a powerful story about the power of love, you know, and how how big our heart can be. Like, wow. I'm not there, I'm not sure I'm there, but it's definitely something we can grow into, and that's very inspiring. Yeah, that's that's why it's, yeah, I'd like yeah. to yeah, learn from that. Yeah. You know, not everybody can do what Tetsugen did, but in little ways, you know. Yeah in ordinary life. That's, I think that's also totally the power of aspiration to be like, you know, to really wanting to have these qualities to mature and hearing these stories like that to really learn more and more how big, you know, uh, we can grow into, you know, and how, how, what's possible. I mean, that's something to, you know, desire to aspire to without making it an object, and that's what I also appreciated you and Kadir also mentioning too earlier about the perfectionism, you know, of like, how come I can't, you know, be forgiving yet, you know, how come I can't, you know, that kind of um, maybe not good enough, but you, what you were saying, um, uh, that to, to not have these kind of, to like really learn that these judgmental attitudes um, are destroying kind of blockages towards the um capacity that's possible for us like to believe more like it's kind of a really um kind of almost a shift between believing we are the self that constantly fails and it's not good enough shifting towards we are able to completely awaken meaning we are able to see non-duality and to live non-duality in all our actions you know and and away with that mind that says, well, oh, today did it only for half a minute. How good is that? You know, I mean, it's just like, it's, it's we are limiting ourselves. That's not those kind of painful kind of um, judgmental uh, self-talk, uh, not helping us towards, you know, rather than that, what I guess diligence in that way with that joy again um, in, encourages us is to just be joyous. If you hear something like really, um, powerful and beautiful that rejoice rejoice in the woman who was able to uh be forgiving but also rejoice in the man who was for five years able to ask her that's just incredible i want to be like that too you know to be like for five years to be like i need that forgiveness you know it was too much
So that's kind of also joy. And I feel that joy really comes not out of a rational mind, but it comes out of our true nature. Uh, Wishing that's right. Forgiveness is right. That's the right thing to do. That's the right thing to ask for. Being generous is the right thing to do. Being kind is the right thing. We kind of know it's kind of naturally. We don't need to be taught that way. We, we see it in children, it comes naturally. Um, and to like to keep steering towards that without that kind of, oh, you know, I need to um, be a certain person, how bad I'm not that person yet. Hmm. I wanted to say thank you Kave for this story but the first thing that I thought of is that uh, you know he was very diligent keep coming back and asking for forgiveness but I wonder um, I guess in my own heart the thing I thought of is does he want forgiveness or does he know that she to go on she has to be she has to be um, somehow forgive the whole thing you know that it's really for me it lives for her you know that i'm getting goosebumps when you say that yeah yeah at least they're inseparable because she is more liberated than he is he's never really going to be liberated she might be (laughs) i mean you you there's always consequences we're going to carry them you don't get to chuck them because somebody said okay but um they both have these opportunities of liberation. I feel like hers is really profound. And that maybe that was an incredibly generous act of his to give her that opportunity. Yeah, very courageous of him also not to, yeah. Very courageous to go into dark places, what he's done and face it. Yeah, talk about honest. Honest, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, thank you, yeah. And it also just shows what you were bringing up is the mutuality um, of how we can help each other to, you know, grow, you know, like to really, um, you know, um, that he, that we can grow not only regretting our, our um, uh, negative actions, but uh, also help each other. That's and maybe also power of 12 step in that sense of like, you know, making these amendments, you know, that knowing that, um, something um, heavy was co-created. I mean, it was there, it, it, somebody else is part of it. And then to, if, if I'm lifting the stone within me, I'm lift, I want to lift it with everybody around me too that was connected to that, you know, um, and is continue to be connected with, even if things happen, you know, 20, 30 years ago, so, you know, to be really, you know, growing upright with it. And I feel like that's maybe where Vajrachana's pasture comes in, even if we sometimes we don't, able to reach these people in these circumstances anymore because they like flow out of our, um, our um, way of reach but to be able to like I'm knowing now uh, that you know I was really short-sighted I was you know I was confused and then I acted out of this confusion and 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 I want to be upright with it I think what you're saying with the allowance is so powerful um, but also to um, give space to it like it's kind of like um yeah it really goes counter to what we have learned about um sin has to go away you know like the kind of idea something going away it's not a going away of 
uh, ignorance is actually just like really allowing space for ignorance in that way, which is why Ochana, he is a space element. He is the emptiness embodiment. Vyochana uh, is um, space, is kind of a um, embodiment of, of a spacious quality. And in that spacious quality, maybe ignorance is not as stupid, you know, maybe like there's a phrase in Tibetan Buddhism, ignorance dawning as wisdom, you know, to like, to like really seeing um, a sense of the, um, um, like if like basically if like the discriminating mind that has ruled and suddenly just flows and visits space, you see, wow, what a beautiful river, you know? But before we were in there and just couldn't even know who we are because it's just this rock tumbling on the bottom of it or the leaf on the top and just everything's just been confusing. But then with space, we see, oh, what a beautiful river. It's just like, oh, I mean, it's just awesome. Nobody can create it. <laughs> but having that space, it's just um, that it's training, you know, because there's so many things where we like, I accept everything, but this, that's too much. You know, that's just like, get out of here. <laughs> so it's just kind of, and that's our capacity and, and that capacity comes again to kindness. Like we wouldn't be able to have that capacity without any sense of kindness towards ourselves and others, you know. Um, hi, uh, I appreciated um, this thread that began with Kave telling the story and uh, Pamela's commentary on it. And um, what came up for me in imagining the, the moment or the, the process of the, the fellow seeking forgiveness was that um, uh, when forgiveness was granted by the woman, um, you know, part of me wanted to believe, oh, the magic spell has been said, now he's been freed. Um, and, and I looked at it a little more closely and realized it's not true. Um, just because the woman said you are forgiven or whatever gesture was shared then, um, I find it unlikely that he was relieved. Um, and I'm reminded of um, I'm reminded of many times in the relationship I'm in now with uh, Monica, when I have, when something has come to pass where I feel like I've made some mistake, she's unhappy and, and there's, some, there's some strain between us. I had a habit of seeking to be told it was okay now. Is it okay now? Um, oh yeah, I screwed up and now I need to be told it's okay. And she, she finally got me to see that you're just trying to suck more stuff out of me with this. You know, you need to be okay. Leave me alone. Figure out how to be okay. It happened. I'm okay. I'm whole, Hogan. Figure out how, what you need to let go of. Um, and I was really reminded of that and reminded of what great growth that has been for me to... Um, and it, yeah, I have a little more to say, but I need to feel that for a second. There's something else that, that came up earlier that I, I wanna to try to share and it feels related, which is I think Peter, Peter spoke of 
disappointment and um, in something as simple as trying to put together a meal and cook a meal and being disappointed in how it turned out. And um, there's these things that I find I'm trying to hold simultaneously um, and hold them and believe them to be completely true. One is in my experience, in my, in my awareness of, in my awareness, there is this thing in me that's this agency and this decision-making capability that I believe that I am, I have free will, I have agency, that I'm continually deciding what to do or not to do. And maybe that leads me to the place where all of a sudden I have this big pile of food in front of me and I'm like, oh God, that just didn't turn out well. I must have, I must have done it wrong. Bad me. And there is part of me that really deeply intuitively be, believes that I get to choose how hot I cooked it and how I prepared it, etc. But then there's also a part of me that, that is finding great value in holding simultaneously true that all of this feeling that I have agency, that I exist, is is not is hmm. what I am is completely non-separate from all of the universe, from all of your eyes, from all of the, the, the waves hitting the shore, from all of the sunshine hitting the surface of the earth. And when there's a bowl of food in front of me, or when there is tension between me and my sweetheart, if I step back and go, well, there is no me that it, all of this danced together to make this moment appear to happen, I can find some peace in going, this is the best the universe could do in this moment. This disappointing bowl of food or <laughs> this, this deep discomfort between me and my lover, it's the best the entire universe could come up with in this moment. And simultaneously, it's true that I had agency and I had impatience maybe that led me to this moment that maybe I can look at and maybe improve on. Holding both of those big things simultaneously is um, it's challenging and it's, it's got my uh, diaphragm reverberating and shuddering right now. Um, but it's, it's where it's at. No, I emphasize and I appreciate your eloquence in, in pointing it out. Uh, I'm personally very much relate and at the same time struggle with that, um, you know, um, arriving at that um, at ease of um, it's uh, what's the universe, you know, like, you know, this complete contentment, you know. Um, and, and in some way, I think you pointed out in what you were sharing, what um, I picked up. <laughs> Uh, was that ability to let go of myself, that ability to see, to see the equality of everything, which interesting, I, and you know, Jen wants to say something from the yoga perspective, because I really discovered that third eye thing, you know, with all the deities and the third eye open and all of, you know, that um, it, it really makes sense in the context of it, is that correct? That it's um, 
in that tradition describing the ability to let go of self or the this kind of the self the ability to surrender or the ability like it's kind of like uh, stepping outside the dual aspect or the self-grasping that comes with that wisdom anybody can share what you guys think about the third eye but uh, for me it's just like this kind of sense of like if I'm still in the uh, realm of assessing anything even like in the most open allowing space uh, but there's still this kind of threat of um it's my life, you know, it's kind of that kind of the threat, that continuous threat of um, self and um, and concern, little concerns, you know, to be like, oh, I feel so miserable and how can I go on? Or I feel so open and accepting, but uh, how come nobody else sees me, you know? Uh, just, oh, how come I don't make any money from it or whatever, you know? It's just kind of like all these kind of, things where the self keeps jumping on and and sometimes it's kind of like just tiny little moments one could say oh it's like this but then it's so disappointing because that would just still be um dualism you know that's just still in this whole realm of this was a good moment this is a bad moment this is like an accepting moment this is a, a open non-selfless moment and if that just keeps being a patchwork of things you know so I guess that's that's where we talked earlier with Peter and that what came up for me when you were speaking is that that hinging around the word uh, surrender, which, you know, it's either a capitulation or submission or some kind of um, giving up or relinquishment. But I wonder to which extent it could just be devotion, you know, like surrender being actually more a sense of of like, I want to let go of, you know, my idea about what's going on. I want to let go and I want to give it to something that I totally trust is larger than me, that I totally know and accept is, you know, beyond me. And, um, and then it comes out with this, um, some of the ancestors having these poems um, more uh, in the phrase, and they can help me with that, um, uh, I'm not it, but in truth, it is me, that kind of um, play, um, that it's neither one nor two. Um, so I'm not it, in truth, it is me, is me. It's kind of like, well, this is the best what the universe can show up with, but how wonderful, this is you. I'm recognizing you universe as being manifesting in this form right now. And I rejoice in you because I'm giving you the complete, power and ability and capacity to do whatever and and the whole Rumi poems and and Sufi poems that are like oh I'm, I'm I'm giving myself to you I'm surrendering myself to you that's the only thing that it's just this like get, like going into this love and uh, um and kind of a relation it's more relational like I guess that's where that whole issue of neither one or two is kind of solved if it's a relationship. Like it's not me, it's not my ego, uh, but it's not, I'm not, I'm, but I'm still have agent, like you were saying, we still have agency to some extent. Uh, so not relinquishing that in that sense of like, um, because that, oh, it's just, I'm just a victim of karma and my life is creature of some bigger forces creating this world. That would be too much to like, no, we still have agency, so neither two nor one comes, maybe it's best described in this love relationship of like me and my lover, you know, of the lover being this universe 
this you know dependent arising event that um, I get to give myself to you know it's kind of it's kind of that, that way makes my um, funny lunch bowl <laughs> again an ecstasy ecstatic thing because it becomes um, it becomes my lover kissing me with this event you know it's kind of like kind of like that um, yeah that just came up in response I, I want to say uh, mm -hmm. there's an image of Sufis uh, I mentioned it last week uh, you know when the Sufis dance like uh, they raise their arms uh, and they turn yeah so the practice is you let the world turn you and yet you're doing the turning you know, you're turned and you turn. So all these wisdom traditions have, have different paths. Yes. You know, I try not to be sectarian, especially since I'm from more the East, right? So I can't, in Zen, in Zen it's hard to find sometimes the, the love aspect of Zen. Actually, Suzuki Roshi, uh, disciple, uh, told me there's not enough love in Zen. So I argued with him. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So, but, but he says, I'm a Zen teacher. So, okay. So, but you can bring whatever is in your psyche to wherever, whatever practice you do. And I have the quote from Suzuki Roshi here, I found one. So, anyway. but, yeah. uh, but the Japanese, Japanese are not big with showing emotions and, uh, you know, like, you know, so anyway, that's another topic. No, totally it's another topic and I'm with you. I'm, I'm we're also heavily trained on being discriminating and trying to compare these different, you know, traditions and so forth. And, and I have to also remind myself to be like, it's all just about what works, you know? It's all about just like which method or which um, saying or which words really help me open more and, and open more, you know? <laughs> you know, have a Buddha nature, you know, have that Buddha nature more come forward. Yeah. I mean, I mean, when I met Angie the first time I met her, I felt so much love. Yeah. In, in the Jikoji community, I feel so much love. So it doesn't matter what, what the idea of Zen is or what traditional Zen is. Every place things take the, when the water is pulling the glass, it takes, uh, there is that glass also. Mm -hmm. Like they influence each other. You know. That's true, it's true. Yeah, 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 absolutely. We hear from uh, someone who hasn't spoke, it's Jan, who's requesting an opportunity to speak. Yes. Thank you. Jan. First, I want to say thank you so much for um, taking time out of your day to come and um, do the Sunday program with us. I always uh, feel very curious when you're, uh, when I know that you're speaking and I, I feel like I always get some little thing to kind of go, oh, you know, and, and it inspires me in my practice. And um, I'm just really glad that uh, we've got a, a strong female presence like you in, in this lineage. That really means a lot to me. And um, uh, I appreciate the curiosity that you inspire in my practice. And um, I guess I want to ask you about the diligence in in that curiosity, and um, uh, you know, when you have uh, certain situations that happen, 
um, repeatedly and you kind of know where that situation is heading, but yet to still sort of remain curious within it, kind of hoping that in that moment it's going to change. And, um, you know, if it's, you know, sitting or if it's a pain or if it's even a continual, like a relationship that sort of is stuck in a rut or, I mean, it could be anything. And I, I feel that it applies to practice just as much. So, um, and I understand too, that we've gone way over time. So if it's something that should wait for another time, that's great too. And just thank you. No, Jen, please. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's a, that's a good one. I feel, hey, I totally uh, celebrate your engagement and your commitment and your diligence. <laughs> And that particularly the diligence right now you're saying, so you did waking up to, um, to the patterns of your life or your situations and having repeating uh, situations where you know what's going, but you, you, you're still exploring like how to keep the curiosity of uh, staying in the trial and error with something of like, what is a you know, methodology or what is a, uh, what is the, re the response what we, would be a new fresh response to an old pattern you know um, and 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 I feel like and, um, that's what we we're just exploring with Hogan about where is that relationship really coming from um, in in myself uh, I'm exploring right now am I able to um, you know even in situations where I feel like it's absolutely my responsibility to respond um, and I will need to respond <laughs> that's why I like uh, maybe um, uh, like space so much I, I really need space like go on a walk or whatever because if a situation is happening or whatever that uh, so, so looking for the space you know or if it's in sitting have the pain here's this pain again you know have that what's the space around it that can hold those um, but how much can I, in that space, give up my responsibility in the sense of like, I'm not the only one who is responding to this situation, you know, there are so many multiple uh, events and circumstances, particularly also awakened beings that are uh, to, um, uh, to help me here, you know, I mean, they're like, they're just in the, in the, um, ready to to dive in if you ask for them and 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 sometimes i so because of that relationship nature that is so helpful uh, making our own buddha nature into a um into a um being that we can call on and i feel that's where um, um having so it's not something external, it's not some outer force, and it's not regurgitating the whole uh, God, uh, all powerful and me all not powerful um, idea, but it's this um, really clearly my own Buddha nature <laughs> is, has qualities. It's not an absence. It has the qualities of love. It can be experienced. It's um, very clearly present every moment if you're awake or asleep. Um, it it's uh, accessible, um, but if it's not felt and if it's not coming forward in form of wisdom or love, and we can call on it to come forward. I mean, that's part of our response too. And um, particularly with patterns that keep coming up, um, to have that clarity, first of all, 
that's already like a massive maturity on your part to really know, wow, this is re repeat. You know, that's an incredible, uh, I totally praise you for that, <laughs> to have that kind of ability to, to receive something. And, and at that moment, if you uh, feel like I'm on the limits, I really don't know, ask do, do that ask you know that kind of you know and if you have a favorite one like if it's avalokiteshvara or kuanian or, or manjushri or you know any of these embodied form of your buddha nature it's not somebody else's it's not something external but it's a relationship it's kind of something to call on um and that's what i think about these bodhisattvas um i feel like they're having definitely the kind of um um uh, like um, sibling kind of, you know, um, like they're your older sister or your older brother who like watch out for you because they're more mature, they have more skill sets. So we, that, I, I like that. Uh, Buddhists can sometimes be intimidating because they're just like everything and non-dual and no form and, you know, who knows if they even speak, you know, but the the uh, bodhisattvas are like on the boomies, they're still struggling themselves, they still make mistakes, and uh, we can call on them um, in, that, in that regard as kind of like um, our mentors, <laughs> so to speak. And that's like where then our teacher comes in, I think in uh, the development from India where these deities are definitely through visualization and through uh, devotional practices, bhakti practices have been developed. That has been in China uh, put into the abbot of the monastery. Like that big, and that's where all these kind of like teacher-student relationship stories come out of in the koans, which was basically just like another outlet for devotion. Because I feel like, in many ways, devotion has um, its own uh, power. Like a devotion, um, devotion is um, our, our ability to open our heart. Basically, it's just kind of like opening our our doors, and and in many ways particularly if we meet difficulties or circumstances, we, you know, we tend to set yourself protective. So, um, and we need to, you know, sometimes it's, it, uh, it is no judgment about that. It's just like, how, uh, do we have a place in our life where we just, you know, open no matter what, you know, and, and particularly for many celibate monks, that was actually like no other than the teacher or than a deity or, um, 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 or just to 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 channel it because it like had all these kind of um, social restraints on on them through the vows and everything, um, and it's powerful because who are these deities? The deities are uh, former practitioners who like just like you and me just didn't know about the dharma, learned about the dharma, and then um, they made aspirations. Their aspiration um, is. Is basically what comes towards we uh, can benefit now. Like for example, Amitabha was like, "Oh, um, if I won't be a Buddha, if uh, if somebody who is reciting my name won't be able to reach a pure land." That was just one of his vows. So now people are like Amitabha Buddha, Amitabha Namotofu, because it works. There's something very powerful about it that uh, reciting that uh, his names and recalling him helps you see everything around you already as uh, pure land. And then when you die, you feel just very certain that you go into pure land. I know for some people that might feel like, oh, what's she talking about? She's going 
turning theistic, you know, but it, it ultimately it's this aspiration. It's this wish. If, for example, like if, um, if I'm really concerned about um, the environment, which I am, and I'm like, I, I don't know where to start. It's just a lot of things go down. <laughs> I don't go down the bucket. It's just really hard, but I'm committed to minimize my plastic, plastic use, you know, eat vegetarian, you know, and do these things. And I'm inspiring and aspiring that my actions gonna have consequences. And maybe they do. Maybe some pig is not gonna be, you know, impregnated with more uh, or whatever and, and killed and whatnot because there's less demand on the market, you know? I mean, there is just a certain kind of cause and effect realm. And I feel like these aspirations, they're like on a level that I with my practice don't quite see yet. But, so, but they're very powerful. Like I will keep the shower being like, really like whoever's gonna call me, I'm gonna be there, you know? It's just like, period, I'm just gonna help them. And, and Tara, particularly Tara is just saviorous. That's her name, right? Call on her, she's gonna be there. And people tell stories about it. And um, so it's basically like this practitioner who is like, um, that's where I'm heading in my, if my Buddha nature is manifesting in this kind of, um, non-dual way, then whoever wants to be in touch with me is going to have re-benefit from it. So, um, so that, that aspiration, and, and that's the only way we can see them is their aspirations, their Dharma body, uh, because we reach enlightenment, and our uh, own aspirations, they kind of mingle. Um, and we got to that from you saying, well, what's my toolbox here with this continuously samsara that keeps turning around and turning around. And I think there are many tools that we can um, really uh, pull on. And, and I feel like these um, practice, like Zen really minimized its practices to, you know, you just sit and you, you, know, you, you practice the spaciousness. Um, but the spaciousness, and, and I think in, like I'm still saying, like for example, Vayuchana, he's a good one to call on. He's like, uh, like space itself, you know, and um, I think there's some gap here between Asia and the West where we, we were kind of like, it came across and we were like, wait, we're not ready for that because we still have to digest our own relationship with these deities and we actually like wanting to trust science more anyway than, you know, than uh, that we want to believe, like have some more statues around. Um, and we think, I think there's just like a lot of learning that we have to do, but that it shouldn't mean that uh, we can't develop our own personal toolbox. Um, um, so besides, uh, um, uh, though that's all to say devotion, that's basically also. So bhakti devotion, I, I think Zen devotion like comes really down to earth of like, you know, um, sweeping, and cleaning the temple. It's like one of the major devotional practices in Zen. And, um, and ultimately like one bottom line instruction that I heard about what happens if you keep seeing uh, patterns over and over again, um, you find yourself heading towards it. And which is like, um, Trungpa Rinpoche was saying, you know, you go down the road, you fall in the hole, you know, it's a story. And you, you go down the road, you see the hole, you still fall into it. And next time you finally choose another hole, road. So Tsongse Kenzo Rinpoche, uh, Rinpoche, he was basically saying, you know, if you notice yourself towards your, go towards the hole again, 
uh, what you're doing is it doesn't matter. You could just jump up and sing. You could just like, you know, do anything. You could just like, you know, suddenly sneeze or, or, or just shake your hair or what, do, do anything, anything. It doesn't matter just to break the pattern. Like if you're noticing you're in a pattern, you sit, you have an old pattern, you notice you're responding with solar version whenever, you know, shout or like whatever, anything. It's just anything you haven't done before. It doesn't really matter, you know. Um, it's just like again it's just being aware of that it's just already like that's like half of the game yeah okay i'm so reminded of the parenting practice of when the child is their attention is someplace that's not really working for everybody distract the child so make some noise or point something out we do that we need to do that for ourselves at times when we're going down that same road and heading towards that same hole uh, thank you for that. Uh, it, 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 it's a good reminder. And I'll give myself permission to next time I'm going to start watching some stream of YouTube videos again. Like, oh, geez, ha ha, shout. Uh, I don't know, jump up and down, anything to not go in that same hole again. Yes. And these are these three practices of noticing, you know, and uh, doing something else. And the, the next one is to do it over and over again something else it's also called as three difficult practices because a it's super hard to notice you're doing something habitual because it's so easy to just fall down it's just so easy to make that one click or to you know to you know have an emotional response that you know um, spirals out of control um and it's then yeah anything you know like like maybe we just so often like have this idea the outcome of that has to be feel a feel-good outcome, but it doesn't have to be a feel-good outcome. It's us to be catching ourselves to be like, congratulations, you did something totally different. You might not feel good, but you finally did something different. You know, it doesn't have to correlate with feeling utterly, you know, elated or something, you know. But over and over, once you notice you're not doing this pattern anymore, it definitely feels good. But yeah. It's very much a description of what you uh, described, Shoho, about putting some space around your suffering in the moment. Yeah. You know, a sneeze or a cough or a dance, or in my case, a breath. Yeah. Uh, a breath is like a magical thing for me when I feel that kind of, it's like a, like a fish hook, I guess Pema Chodron would say, but you can feel yourself reaching for it. It's like so pathological, you know, oh, I'm going to that thing again. And then you can just, the minute you see it, if you just do, for me, a breath, a big breath, sometimes three, I think there's some, you know, neurochemistry thing going on there. And then you, you know, have a little bit of space around your suffering. Yes. So, yeah. Yes, but I'm just really struggling with that um, sense of putting too much, um, loading too much responsibility on myself. So um, while I, I, you know, there are these tools and definitely a lot of people wrote how to books, you know, how to do this, how to do that. And there's a result. Ultimately, they don't work because if they work, we would already, everybody would be placed out by now, right? So it's just kind of like a sense of like, it's great if it works one time, two times. And I noticed that, um, it's just like you change, you know, what works one time doesn't work the next time. And it's just sometimes, and to come to the bottom of um, what what this on, is on the first place, I mean, um, 
I mean, that's where like these um, reading about the ancestors who like came before us, that's um, so inspiring because if not only do we read about the struggle, but we also read that staying diligent, you know, like we do the past so long it works, that's great, but the day it doesn't work, just keep with your diligence, you know, it, it's uh, to not get down on ourselves about um, uh, if, if what we're doing, if what we're doing is, um, you know, has to, is fitting our idea realm of our perfectionism, like not to get into this whole perfectionistic pattern again. Um, that also seems to be just so um, coming from our um, religious pasts, you know. I mean, we are all converts, right? I mean, nobody grew up here Buddhist. So we are like really having to digest uh, where we come from and and find our way, get our toolbox, and then and and just keep looking forward towards source who have been ahead of us um, uh, to get that inspiration to keep at it because at one point um, it becomes it definitely comes easier. I mean that's definitely the message that we have been hearing from everybody <laughs> before us. <laughs> yeah. No, it's so beautiful. I mean, that's where like it's such a joy to uh, be in Chikoti because, like you're saying, Kavi, it is like a community, and then I really appreciate. Um, just so yeah, honest. I, I have to leave, but I really want to thank you. You're always so. The few times that I've seen you, I don't know, it's the third time or second time, I'm not sure. But you're so explorative and uh, open-hearted. Yeah, it's very, very, very inspiring. Very inspiring, like so kind and wise and very explorative like you go with every question like you give an answer to jen at the you kept going and going and going and boom at the end there was an answer which i not forgot but it was like maybe jen can comment on it but but uh you know you just kept reaching like you know into the dark and just illuminating yeah so one yeah thank you so much for your yeah the way you are Thank you for saying that. And um, sorry, I hope I don't hold you too long. It's definitely going on, but um, it it also um, to have Kavi's uh, uh, praise uh, is uh, praising is definitely one of the methods that um, that really is helpful um, internally to um, to get oneself into new mindsets. You know. Praise yourself, praise other people, praise what you see, praise, you know, praise. It's one of the practice of Samantabhadra, of the 10 practices that um, yeah, just align with reality. That's what reality is. It's just something to be praised because it's really, really just beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. I will end here. I hear my husband doing cooking lunch out there. <laughs> so, thanks for coming. Thank you very much. Thank you for all your questions and beautiful practice. Bye. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by Jokoji Zen Center. Our Dharma talks are offered free of charge, and this is made possible by the donations we receive. Your support helps us to continue to offer the Dharma. For more information about Jokoji, 
please visit us on the web at jacoji.org.